Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, dear listener, for being with us again here on The Coaching Show. Today is Tuesday, Wednesday, May 25th, and uh, man, Alex Terranova, I am devastated yet again. I come to this program to record right after I drop off my children at their school and yet again our nation this uh united states has a tragic loss of life at the hands of a crazed person with a gun it feels like we can't talk about it and it feels like we have to for me dropping my kids off thinking that they're going to believing and having faith that they're going to be safe and watched over and then hearing about something like this it's just devastating alex anything you've got about this how does this land for people who are half my age also for someone who doesn't have kids right you know i think about how how it would feel if i were in your shoes or the shoes of millions of of uh of parents that it's different for some than for someone who doesn't right like i don't I'm not in that same experience. And there's this odd, really unfortunate feeling of it feels really normal here. You know, when somebody gets lung cancer and you know, they've smoked their whole life, it feels really sad and like a tragedy and you go, well, it's the consequence of the thing. And there's something about living in America and the, and the world that we've created here. Um, that, um, that is like heartbreakingly that this is the, this is, gun violence is the norm. Um, I had a, uh, it made me think when you were saying that I had uh, someone, someone I was speaking with recently was talking about when they're working with a client, sometimes you can really rebuild a bad situation. You can take a a marriage, a company that doesn't work and, and reconstruct it. And sometimes it feels like you have to like burn the whole thing down and create something totally new. And when things like this happen, that's where my brain goes. I'm like, do we have, does this whole thing have to get so bad that we have to, to start it all over again? Is it, is it actually changeable without burning it all down? And I know it's even, I just took it to a way darker place, but that's, you asked me where I go and that's where I go. Yeah. It, um, I think it's outrageous to me that something like 90, I mean, between 80, 86 and 90% of Americans actually agree on certain limitations like uh, background checks, right? Universal background checks. There's a bill that's been passed by the House of Representatives and and yet the one party and the gun lobby seem, you know, the cowardice of politicians in our country is extraordinary. And like you, I wonder if it's going to take something dramatic to actually shift that or if we can shift it in a civilized way at the ballot box. It's uh, never been more clear to me that we need to take dramatic and consistent action. And so I apologize for using this microphone as a soapbox today, but I am, like many people are, devastated and cannot be silent one more day, one more time, one more event. Christopher, I want to I want to throw one more thing in that I've just noticed recently, just not in the last day, but in, in the last few weeks, is um, just how much like we are nullified. Uh, nullified isn't the right word. Um, kind of dilute. Again, I'm missing the word. The ceiling of being diluted to violence in general. Right? I'm watching a show on TV, and the couple in the show gets in a fight, and she smacks him. Right. And that and that will straightens him up right in the moment. And um, so how many shows are about right? A show starts with cops finding a dead body and then the whole investigation or almost every 
that that there's a Ryan Reynolds movie that's about a guy getting to go back and have this experience with his father, which is this brilliant story about getting in his father's shoes. But the the movie is laced with essentially killing and violence and how we just I think I hadn't noticed it because for me, it's it felt normal. And then I'm watching things with Evan and Evan is really sensitive to it. If she sees somebody get you know fighting or violent, she's like, I don't want to watch this. And it started having me notice, wow, I'm just like seeing violence on a regular basis. And then if you look at the news, right, it's even, then it's the real thing, but it all has this feeling of the same. And I don't know that our brains, and I'm not, I don't know if you know this, like, I don't know if our brains can actually tell the difference. If it recognizes the difference between the made up violence and the real violence. I, um, I love that. And I think that it's a, it gives me the segue, you know, I was looking at how do we start on such a downtone and then get into the world of empowerment, right? And yet that's exactly who we are. You know, coaches, for those of you that don't want to listen or talk about this anymore, we will stop, I promise. Uh, but it reminds us that the work that we do, you know, improving relationships and empowering humans and uh, allowing people to do everything from speak up for what they believe in to um, act in accordance with their values and beliefs is so important, right? And this sounds like one for you, you know, this awareness that your partner is bringing to you by saying, oh, I don't want to watch this because there's violence actually has you awaken to it. And who knows, you know, maybe my children and eventually yours can grow up in a world that's <laughs> distinct and that honors some of the true values as opposed to the clickbait entertainment, you know, watch it and be shocked values. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for allowing that conversation. Thanks for being in the business that we are in. And thank you for being here, you and our dear listeners. Um, anything that you want to share before we get to our delightful and honored guest? Oh, there was something that's funny. Sometimes I know you always ask me that. And this week I was thinking about it popped into my head. I was like, what am I going to share this week? <laughs> and then now with what we just brought, I, I actually lost it. Um, so no, I'm going to let's, I think, I think there's nothing that I need to share uh, because I don't want to say something just for the sake of it. So let's, uh, let's meet our guest. We've, you know, we've, we've, I feel like we've, we've just brought our audience to this right now. They're sad, right? <laughs> which, which they should be, I mean, in, inside, inside of the context that we brought, but I think uh, let's like pick it back up. How does that sound for you? The, the opportunity is great here because we are in the presence of greatness. I initially, Donna and I were trying to figure out, I I think that initially Donna was one of the first 10 or 20 guests that I had when I started this podcast over 20 years ago. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome you back to our microphones and, and our video. Donna Zajunk is an MCC. She's the director of coaching at this and the Center for the Empowerment Dynamic. Uh, she's written a new book, who do you want to be on the way to what you want? Coaching with the empowerment dynamic. She and her business partner, David Emerald, I can't talk today, David Emerald, for 15 years have worked with the empowerment dynamic, bringing it to the global community, the coaching community, leading trainings. Donna and David are co-author of TED Works, and she has been writing a blog every week, reliably for 12 years. Please welcome back to our microphones, the delightful, the brilliant, the powerhouse that is Donna Zajon. Hello. Oh, Christopher, Alex. Wow. Good morning. Good afternoon to our listeners. Um, it is a sad day to be here. And also it's a day for us to talk about the role of coaching and transforming the world and transforming what we've become numb to. You know, it's a core competency. Awareness. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. It has been a long time. And congratulations to you on so many years of success. It takes a lot of tenacity, Christopher, to do something like a, this podcast for almost 20 years. Yep, it's, thank you so much. And um, the amazing thing is neither of us has changed in that time. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if we add the photo from then and to the photo now, it's just the same. Um, Donna, I wanna give you sort of an opportunity to address something that maybe I'm the only person who knows uh, because of our long history, which is that for a brief time, 
you were, uh, and, and I think this is a segue here, uh, for a brief time, you were very interested in coaching in the political world. And I remember when we talked about it way back in the day, you, know, you run for office and uh, it was a part of your commitment to change the world. Mm. I wonder if you'd share with us your experience there and any advice you have for coaches who may want to work in that world besides everyone's lying all the time. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's, my goodness. Sorry, that's, my, that's a stacking of questions there, Christopher. Okay. That's right. So my experience at age 28, I ran for office, defeated a three-term incumbent in the state legislature in Oregon. And that was a surprise to me. I came out of psychiatric nursing and got so interested in my master's work around healthcare policy and was motivated and asked to run. And I said, yes. And so I spent several terms in the Oregon legislature and then was my party's nominee for secretary of state, ran statewide, got involved in partisan politics and then ran a governor's campaign. So got very involved as a campaign manager. So I did all that partisan stuff for about 10 years. And I dropped out. And what I said was I went through my post-partisan depression. And I really mean that in that the duality, the polarity of the two-party systems, I was really grief-stricken by, uh, and this was in the late 80s. So I was still very young and didn't know what to do with it. But I knew something wasn't right because there were definitely leaders that were inspiring and collaborative and interesting and inquisitive about not knowing how to approach something. And they wanted to bring the voices to the table. And I loved that. And then there were others that everything was black and white. You're part of your party and things are right or wrong. Uh, so I didn't know what to do with it. But when I found coaching, in 2000, after going through coaching education and program and, you know, where is my inspiration, um, I got back to, wow, I wonder what coaching in the political sector would look like and wrote a book called The Politics of Hope and looked at the stages of leadership, psychological development and headed up, wow, this is old memories, Christopher, headed up the special interest group at ICF called right. uh, Political Coaching. And uh, a few of us worked on that for a couple of years. And um, I'd say I had quite a bit of success in local governments, which is nonpartisan, did a lot of work with city councils, city managers and their staff. But when you get into the partisan realm, the first person, anyone, the first question anyone would ask me, well, what party do you belong to? And I'd say, no, I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about inspiring you to be your best. How do you, how do you bring leadership to who you want to be as a leader in the, in the political policy making world? And so that was really became a barrier. And I would say that I was not a success at trying to kick off coaching and, and political coaching. So um, that's a very quick um, resume to responding to your question. And I'm not sure I have any advice, frankly, about this realm because partisan politics has gotten even more entrenched, even more uh, uh, in the wide spectrum of the polarity, which reflects our culture in general. So mm -hmm. the nature of what I wanted to bring in terms of a professional coach, um, I would say that um, the, the um, timing still isn't right to bring coaching to partisan politics, but there's other public policy areas for sure. It's such a it's such a conundrum because uh, you're not the only coach that I know of who's ventured into that world. Our our friend Laura Berman Forking ran for office as well in a partisan, very partisan, very old school um, mm -hmm. district and area, and you know was elated, I think, to leave that as soon as possible because it's so dark and such the opposite of the parts of humanity we normally deal in. I'm so grateful that you address that and what a beautiful extemporaneous answer on a on a uh, question about the past alex bring us into the into the present what would you wait, like wait, to know i'm curious about? there's something i'm because you spoke about and this is something i think people wonder and i i wonder so when you were in that world and you talk about these great leaders it's hard to imagine you know a martin luther king or you know like just just shifting where they're headed 
because of the environment they're in, right? Like we did often leaders that we've seen have not been able to live out full lives. So we've never seen what's happened to them over the longevity. What do you think happens with these, or what did you see happen with these leaders when you were in politics that they were so inspiring? They, 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 how do they just become part of the system? How does that happen? And come become part of the system and then become what? part of the partisan system, right? Like you're coming, you see these, a leader who is, I'm thinking more mindset, right? Not the like, how, how do they do it? Right. Like the exchange of, but what happens to that leader that suddenly becomes part of the, the partisan game versus what inspired them to, to start running in the first place and wanting to make change? Right. Well, I, I think it's difficult to generalize exactly because there's thousands of people that go through this uh, cycle of being inspired and getting involved. And some navigate and others drop out, as Christopher just said. And um, I believe there's still cream that's that arises to the top, especially in our state legislatures, where there's still an opportunity to really get to know each other and really do good things together. And you can get to know your neighbors and, and get reelected without the party machinery uh, or the very, very long term, powerful special interests that can really have a lot to say, especially in today's campaign worlds around social media and how you target an audience. Uh, when I was running, I literally I had 44,000 uh, people in my district. And I really literally got to know a lot of them. So they knew me. So I was able to navigate and hopefully keep my roots and, and center about who I am, who I was. It's, it's more and more difficult to do that. And then you have a choice. You know, the first choice is, do you really care about getting reelected? And that liberates you to be a truth teller of what is uh, in your heart and in your values. And isn't that great opportunity to align with a coach to help one to access that certainty, those values, and then to not care about the results. But I tell you, that's really tough when you might leave a profession in order to run for office. You're constantly out running, uh, asking for money. And you put a lot on the line. And I don't know about you all, but I have a comp I, I'm competitive. I love sports. You know, I'm I have a competitive nature. And you want to, if you're going to do it, you want to win so you can be yeah. in office. So that's the paradox. Uh, so really transforming this culture of polarity requires us to look at elections so that the nature of getting elected isn't always on a partisan ticket there. And that means complete revolution about our, the way we create elections and elect people. But I'm really going down now a bigger picture here, but we're talking about major change into the system that will allow leaders to be, Alex, what you're saying, that collaborative, inspiring, values-based leader that we, that we all yearn to trust and want the nobility of public service. I absolutely believe we Americans have a deep yearning to go back to our heritage of that yearning for nobility. Um, so I'll leave it with that. We could go uh, many other directions with your question. Well, I think you, you gave us a great segue into the coaching piece, because I think what you were talking about as a politician is exactly what happens for new coaches often, or probably for veteran coaches in the sense of, so I remember being, you know, my beginning coaching and thinking, can I say what I really think? Or will that might not get me hired? Right. Right. Or I have a client who, you know, I had a client this week and I was like, and I just got very frank. I was like, you're acting like a big baby. And there, you know, there are times where I think as coaches, we're afraid to say, I think the more experience we have, we get more accustomed to telling our truth, to having that relationship where we can say something like that. And then your client thanks you for actually being the person who would tell, say that they're being a baby. Um, I'm looking through my core competencies and I'm not seeing the, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't being reviewed. This was not a, but, uh, but it was, it was, I think that there is the trust and intimacy piece, right? Where the trust and intimacy of the core competencies, where I think when we're that, that new, that 
early stages of coaching where we're trying to get clients, we're trying to build a business, often we get attached to the result, right? Just like getting reelected. And then we might lose our way a little bit in, in why we, we didn't necessarily become a coach so we could get hired. That wasn't the, that might not have been the first thing, but we sometimes lose our way. And so I really heard that in politics, it's the same way. So it, it, I think that feeling of, oh, it makes a little more sense. So thanks for painting that picture. Um, I'm curious for you as a, as a coach, how do you, um, cause since we did, we just talked about attachment, like getting attached to that result, how do you stay really committed to who you want to be as a coach and who you want to be as a leader in the world, despite the way things are? Well, it's a moment to moment process to be aware of, uh, what are your, what is my, uh, what matters most to me? What most do I want? What most do I care about in the moment? And relinquishing that attachment to not knowing how it might show up, but the uh, ability to stay really present and, and um, receive guidance through the heart wisdom uh, so that what we're experiencing in that relationship that you just mentioned, Alex, where you know, we may want to say a big baby, we learn uh, over time as coaches to be in a, a very safe space that's creating a third space so the other might be able to hear what you're mirroring back to them. And so for me, that power of that truth teller through my experience that I'm accessing somatically through my heart wisdom, not so much always through my intellect anymore, but what I'm sensing in the moment is going on. I believe the other, again, is yearning for that kind of truth, that kind of mirroring. And if they're not, then we're not a good match as client um, and uh, coach. It took a long time, though, to get there. Uh, so I want to absolutely acknowledge uh, that that's not something easy to do when you're trying to make a living and you're building experience, because how are you get that experience, but to have clients and yes. to fall on your face and to remember who is it that I want to be on the way to what I want as a professional coach and a change agent in service to creating a better world for all. You got to keep remembering why you're doing this to release us from the attachment of just being hired. Beautifully said. Um, a lot of people know you originally through the book that you and David Emerald created, The Power of TED. And no, it's not the TEDx or the TED Talks. It's short for the empowerment dynamic. And this yes. is a book that, as far as I'm concerned, should be on the shelf of any self-respecting coach or Alex. Um, the, the piece that I, so this is a great book. It's told in a story format about coaching, about the, the dynamic, uh, as well as it's got some, some cool methods in it. But then you're sort of giving away this store here years later, right? Your new book, Who Do You Want to Be on the Way to What You Want, is sort of a coaching framework for coaching with the empowerment dynamic. And you've trained this for now decades, right? And you've been working, well, 15 years anyway, and you've been working in the empowerment dynamic. Why was it important for you to sort of give away all your uh, tools, tips, and techniques here in the, in the book? Well, thanks, Christopher. And um, I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you because it was something many years ago that uh, was an epiphany on the part of David uh, when he was going through a divorce, going through the, the early death, sudden death of his father, uh, realizing he was infertile, not able to have children and went to um, a counselor and a counselor shared with David the drama triangle something that was created by Dr. Stephen Cartman in the late 1960s that identify the three main strategies we human beings do when we're uncomfortable or don't like a situation. And the main strategy is we feel victimized. My God, we're not going to get what we want. So we disengage, feel powerless. That's the main role in Dr. Cartman's drama triangle. And when we 
feel that way, there's always a problem that we've externalized as causing me to feel this way. And that's the persecutor where the persecutor tries to lean in and say, I never want to be a victim. So I'm going to really lean against the second main strategy. First one is to disengage. Oh, I'm powerless. The other one is to lean against and really up the control. And when that dynamic gets started, Dr. Cartman says, there's always a third strategy that we humans do. And that is we want to stop the conflict. We want to lean in and be a rescuer and a helper and give great advice to the victim and persecutor in us or others about how we could solve this conflict. So the counselor outlined this to David and David said, oh my gosh, that identifies my whole life. But gradually, and as he and I got to know each other, um, he had an epiphany that there's got to be a positive way that we human beings respond to life's challenges. And that's what he created. And we've named it, he named it the empowerment dynamic. Instead of being a victim, we can choose what we want. We can take responsibility. And he named that the creator essence in us. Instead of being a persecutor and tearing down and criticizing, we can challenge and have a will that wants to build up and our intention is to learn. And instead of being a rescuer, we all have a coach in us, not necessarily a professional coach, but we all have a coach in us that is curious about what's going on and can draw out and um, ask questions and reflect. And so those three roles, I mean, that was a little bit of a long explanation, but it was a lot of information fairly quick that the genius of Dr. Cartman to name the part of us that goes reactive when we're in conflict is so universal. They're very archetypal and they align with all of our experiences out there from novels to movies to fairy tales. We see it everywhere when we wake up to it. What David and I at the Center for the Empowerment Dynamic is about is to see it sooner so we can transform it faster into our better angels, our better parts of ourselves, and bring those up and nurture the creator, challenger, coach in us. So that's what our work is about. And the last uh, especially dozen years, I've been full time at expanding and deepening the uh, realization about the creator challenger coach in us. And then most recently, specifically how to use it as a coaching framework. And that's what the new book is about. Mm. I love it. I love the, I'm, I'm, as you're talking about this, I'm looking for the, the image on Google, which I, is everywhere. So if you, if someone Googles the empowerment triangle or the drama triangle, they can actually see what we're talking about. Cause as you were talking about, I didn't know what we were talking about. Um, it feels so powerful to have it like in front of you, right? When we, when you say it and I recognize the, the way we, the rescuer, the persecutor, the victim, but then seeing the, the, the opportunity of creator challenge coach creates a whole new set of possibilities, right? We, we started this whole conversation in the binary of politics and now you just created instead of having two or three options now we have six realistically we get yeah so we have a choice point right in the middle when we wake up we pause we calm our neurology the amygdala hijack that gets us revved up all the time now depending on how we and i'll say protect ourselves or at least shield ourselves from the onslaught of the constant um, negativity. When we can calm ourselves, then we're at a choice point of say, wow, what do I want? <laughs> and how do I want to be in relation to what I want? And that's really what the work is about. And what I love and why it's so cool in coaching is people see these roles so fast, just like David did. He says, oh my God, I do that all day long. I can see where I get stuck and a race around the drama triangle. It accelerates awareness. And as coaches, when we have a simple framework that is so archetypal and universal that accelerates awareness, 
wow, don't we want to use that as a coach? Don't we want to invite our clients in to be able to wake up their inner observer? Of course we do. And that's why um, in my elder years, I'm really dedicated to uh, bringing this to the global coaching community. And Christopher, I guess I'm getting to the last third of your question of, you know, what is this about now and who am I? I I actually feel a bit of an obligation as a co-creator of the work that um, I'm, as David says, I'm Ted's mom. (laughs) And so uh, I I delight in taking on that, um, hmm, I use the word obligation, uh, opportunity uh, and authentic authority. Maybe I should say that uh, to be able to deepen. I love thinking deeply about this because it really activates the psychodynamics that's going on inside of us on how we relate to ourselves. Because those six roles, Alex, are going on inside of us in our own internal conversations. And they're going on out there with how I meet the world. So there's um, a lot of possibility depending on where our clients are they can see themselves in these roles in this dynamic really fast. We don't have to overwork as a coach, which sometimes is very tempting, isn't it, Christopher? Especially early on. Especially early on. Right. We can do this. We just need 17 more hours and 38 more sessions, right? Yeah. Um, I have a personal question for you. Alex will be the first to tell you that I don't partner well with others and my wife, perhaps the second. But um, the... The thing that I imagine is that with all this work you're doing, right? And and as you said, David said, seeing the drama triangle, the dreaded drama triangle everywhere. Um, you know, I would. It's such a it's such a mean, but I think universal question, which is, if we're pointing to that in our partners, our clients, our you know kids, our people around us, aren't we kind of in it? I mean, are we? Is that how do we? maintain our separation from it reflected to people without actually, you know, finger pointing mm-hmm. as Alex was yeah. pointing to. A beautiful question. And I think that's a more developed nuance of how to work with the material in that once we see it, we can take a deep breath and literally I hold it out here in my hand in front of me and go, oh, there I go again. Look at that. I literally can see the triangle which is a downward pointing drama triangle. And that tip of that victim being very imbalanced, I go, there I go again. Huh, look how I just made up a story about something, my partner, my children, my coworker. Is that the way I wanna be? Do I want to take on those roles? So we've got to get space from it. And we not see it as us. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. So 
when, when we teach this work, we're very, very, I'm very quick to say we want to normalize these roles that we all do it. We all feel powerless at all at times. We all lean against and try to control. We all are sometimes over helpers and rescuers, especially in the coaching profession. When I do training and there's a room full or a Zoom full of coaches, what's your go-to role? How do you enter the drama triangle most often? Oh, three quarters at least say the rescuer role. So when we enter it and we can wake up to it and we can self-observe it, then in psychological terms, we no longer become subject to it. It's the subject object a, a dynamic that really comes alive for us. And Christopher, I, I just find, you know, I'll still get into something with David or my children and I see it faster now and I beat myself up less now. So compassion, oh, we could have a whole conversation about the role of compassion here because it's essential to be able to keep ourselves calm with self-love, nurturing, compassion when we see ourselves racing around the drama triangle in order to pass and say, okay, I'm gonna pass, I'm not gonna play. And we stop and then we can choose the more empowering role. So how does that question, how does that answer land for you in terms of your inquiry? It's beautiful and it echoes something that I think might be my sort of go-to. So let me just bounce it off of you, which is, I love that you pointed to compassion as a key element of it. And I'm hearing compassion for ourselves as much as for everyone else, right? That we go to these places all the time. Um, is it is it in your view as important as it is to me that people, you know, when I when I am dealing with somebody who's, for example, the identified problem in an organization, right, the, the difficult personality, about 90% of the time, at least, that person is super duper hard on themselves. However critical they're being facing outwardly, it's about 10 times that inwardly. And maybe uh -huh. I, I'm identifying with that. But is this something you've seen and, and dealt with? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know how we can have compassion for others and the situations they're in unless we really grok and get the compassion for ourselves. I mean, that it, I just think that's almost an impossible human phenomena to have that for others from a point of reference of not over identifying and over rescuing that can get triggered if we have so much compassion for the other you know, that, that we must hold that delicate balance. So yes, the person who's in pain, the person who is causing the so-called problem. So usually others would identify, I'm just making this up, Christopher, but my hunch is from working in organizations and we have a lot of companies that have adopted the empowerment dynamic, this work that we're talking about today as a way for team development. And because um, when we know what triggers other people going into the drama triangle, now we have a responsibility to not do that. And not only not do it for ourselves, but understand the triggers for others. So it's a very rich dynamic. So now when there's this one person, let's say, that's identified and you do interviews and you hear what other people say about that one person, almost always they come across as a persecutor in the language of the others. But when you talk with them in a private coaching way, yes, they're hard on themselves, that they feel victimized by situations going on. So they feel like they're a victim. And so now we have a real opening for a powerful conversation. Gosh, what's it like to be you? What's this like right now? And, and then we know that sometimes if we can really show our authenticity and compassion for them, they may open up of what it's like for them and what they're dealing with personally, and then <clears throat> discover how self-critical they are. That hyper self-critic that comes out then as being critical to others. So where well, that's another rich question but that's why i love the drama triangle empowerment dynamic it really illuminates these roles and when you normalize them you allow people to do their own work and that's what i want i want to work with the willing 
Yeah. I'm, I, I don't, I don't know that we, I cannot come back to this because it seems so explanatory of, of how almost like how politicians behave right in, in this sense of if one side is going to have them be so wrong that would be so right. If, if if you, if I said anything and half the people bullied on me for it or like told me I was wrong, then I have to dig in further to the people that tell me I'm right. Because that part of me inside that, that that's going to be critical of wanting, right? Most people got into that world from wanting to do something different. They wanted to serve in some way. Um, and so I'm just imagining if we approached, you know, conversations with everyone like that. You know, the first thing I thought when you were sharing is when we're in a fight with our partner, what the, what's the experience that they're having that's causing us, that's causing the, the fight. Mm-hmm. What's the experience that, you know, our, our politicians are having that are causing them to not do things. And we don't all have access to our politicians, but we do have access to the people around us. And I do believe things ripple, right? So if we, if we followed your approach and your model and we, brought compassion to just our family yeah right? even our even our kids i don't remember being a kid and being upset and people really having oh like getting what it mm-hmm. felt like to be you know yes in your space yes um so i'd invite you to drop the just we could just be compassionate mm-hmm. you know, did, did you notice that you said just i did not notice Yeah, because I think it could be and is the biggest entree into transformation of relationships. When we really truly have compassion for ourselves and we understand that and get that emotional experience and we truly listen and have compassion for the other, that leads to deep curiosity, not probing kind of curiosity, like I'm going to ask you a question until I figure out what's wrong with you kind of curiosity. It's deep, loving, not knowing curiosity from which our point of reference as coaches arise. We really want to know a little more about what it's like to be the other when we're in this relationship. And when we can be in that space, we are creating a third space I have my space. The other has their space. Now we're creating a third space of vulnerability, as Brene Brown says, that allows the other to show up with more openness. And now we open our hearts more. And that's the pathway to transforming relationships. And I believe our politics will not change. In fact, I would say it's almost the last to change until our culture demands and wants a change. Our politicians are reflecting what is going on in our broken relationships, in our families, in our homes, and with ourselves. We are numbing ourselves out at such an addictive rate. You know, so I, I want to limit how much I go into that space, but our politicians, Alex, are reflecting the pain we're feeling. Well said. Thanks. Yeah. I don't mean to get let them off. We've got to hold accountability. So that's very, very important. But there are good people trying to do good things that are getting um, cornered um, by the way we're living in general in the culture of our country. Yeah. There's a... <laughs> I can't tell if you're going to go in, Alex. So if you don't know, no, no, um, the title of your most recent book, who do you want to be on the way to what you want implies or says in a new way, um, being is more important than doing. Yes. Yes, it certainly does. And it's a story. Um, all of our, this is a third book in our uh, trilogy of empowerment dynamic work. The first one is the power of Ted. <clears throat> and so I, I wanted to write about coaches and I wanted to bring a more feminine approach to the story. And so the main character is Sophia, a master coach of many years, and she is coaching a very headstrong young CEO that's a third generation of her construction company. 
And she calls Sophia to fix her, a leader, her leadership team. And so the beginning of the story is that Sophia um, is trying to fix herself. After all these years, she wants so much to be in service to the world. She finds that she's rescuing and overdoing. So as the story unfolds, Sophia shares with RJ uh, the human operating system, uh, how we have different mindsets that tee up the different roles of the drama triangle roles and the TED roles. And it's so illuminating for RJ. But throughout the story, there is this constant reflection by Sophia. And I wrote it in a narrative style. So the reader could hear what's going on in Sophia's mind and heart as she's coaching RJ. She, the, the dialogue identifies, and I only could write this because I know that I do it, Christopher, and I'm hearing my internal dialogue with, oh, why aren't I doing a better job right now of coaching this really headstrong client? Why can't I come up with a better question? Why can't I fix her? You know, that was the dialogue that Sophia is having. But through the illumination of doing her own work that she's sharing with her client, she finds that she's on the same journey as RJ of letting go, of being fully present. And when she, as her namesake, Sophia, wisdom, is able to open her heart and be really, truly present and let go of the attachment that she needs to be a certain way as a coach, she's able to discover that that beingness is far more important to her own joy and who she is as a coach than the doingness of the right question or the right technique. And so that's the story I wanted to bring to the coaching world. I think it's a unique approach. I don't know that there's anything out there in the coaching world right now where you could read a story about hearing what's going on in the coach's mind as she is coaching. Christopher, you're muted. It's, you know, first day, first day as a podcaster. What, <laughs> what do these buttons do? Um, thank you, Alex. Sorry for that. The, the message is so important. And I worry sometimes that it'll get lost in the, you know, in the delivery, but what I hear you pointing to, I'm emphasizing and underlining, is how important it is for the coach's attention to be on our being first and our doing second, right? So many people try and turn coaching into, as you've said, you know, the diagnosis or the asking the right question in the right order. You know, where's my where's my flashcards or my cheat sheet of what powerful questions are, instead of really just being, you know, have a cup yeah. of tea, sit back, lean back as the the great philosopher Fat Joe once said, um, "What?" And that's so give... hard to do when you're trying to get a client. What we talked about twenty minutes ago—that is so hard to do. So I don't want to underestimate, you know, what we're talking about here. Um, and that is the pathway to really the power, the the presencing. And it's counterintuitive because our Western mind minds for three, four hundred years has been all about our intellect, our scientific approach to life. It is the Western mind that says our intellect is the one that's going to make us successful as a coach in this hour with our coaching client. And the beingness is not accessed through our intellect. The beingness is act accessed through our heart. And we know now through heart math and other research that the wisdom of the heart and the vibration of the heart is many, many times more, has more information to give us than our intellect. And we need both. We absolutely need both. But, so Christopher, I think I kind of interrupted you even on where you were going with the question. You're, of, totally, you're totally fine. Of the being. And, and it's and, hard yeah. to teach. It's very hard to teach. It's a practice. My brain told me to ignore my heart, so I'm going to. Um, <laughs> let's get to, let's get to, you referenced three books. I'm aware of The Power of Ted, and we talked about who do you want to be on the way to where you are, oh, to what you want. Sorry, who do you want to be on the way to what you want, your latest book. Um, what's the, what's, you mentioned a trilogy. What's yes. the one in the middle? 
Yes. Uh, so three years ago, we published, uh, David wrote, The Three Vital Questions Transforming Workplace Drama. So as uh, The Power of TED became more and more successful, um, it's been a bestseller for 15 years now. It's amazing. We had leaders, and, and I think it's because you said it's one of the five go-to books for a lot of coaches, a lot of leaders, in that it very quickly in a story and a hundred and some pages helps one identify a very existential crisis. And do I feel victimized by life or am I empowered by life? And that choice um, led a lot of leaders to start asking their teams to read it together. So gradually the work uh, really uh, picked up and went in organizations. Uh, and it surprised David and myself, especially David. And as the author, he has done more and more work in organizations with team development and cultural change. So the, the idea of power of TED, huh? Is that TED Talks? No, it's not TED Talks. You know, and so people were um, confused by what is TED and um, the brand of three vital questions that help you bring the empowerment dynamic work to life is what is in the story of the three vital questions, transforming workplace drama. And it's about how a team and a leader uh, uses the three questions to bring it alive. So the first question is, where am I placing my focus? Am I focused on problems and what I don't want or the outcomes that I'm passionate about? That's the first question. The second question is, how am I relating how am I relating to myself and to others and the outward experience? And that's where the two triangles, empowerment dynamic triangles and the, the DDT, the dreaded drama triangle, is where we teach the two triangles. Because what, what you think about is going to determine how you relate. And the third question is, okay, now what actions am I taking? If you're reactive in your mindset, and you're living through the drama triangle, the actions you're going to take are episodic, short-term to just manage your anxiety. True. When your mindset is on outcomes, what I want to create, what I care about, what matters most to me, then we're stepping to the empowerment dynamic roles. And the actions we take are incremental baby steps, learning a step at a time. So it's a full behavior change model. And you can see why I'm excited about her coaching, right? Yeah, I get really yeah. pretty excited because it's it's both our mindsets, it's our relations, and it's action planning. Beautiful. Yeah, I had I had picked up your book, Sassy. So that was uh, I thought that was the third one, but it's not. That's all. No. So there's another Donna Zajon out there. Oh. And I don't know who she is, but she wrote a book called Sassy, and I didn't know that until um, my. I can't believe. Out. I yeah, I can't believe that there's another one. It's not even you. All right, but just to recap, The Power of Ted, start there, three vital questions, and then the most recent book, Who Do You Want to Be on the Way to... Who do you want to be? I can't <laughs> right. On the way to what you want. Who do you want to be on the way to what you want? I'm going to practice that. Got some flashcards. Yeah, so Power of Ted, I would say, is our basic entree level self-help book, even. I put it in that category. It's personal. It's personal. Easy to read, personal. The three vital questions transforming workplace drama is uh, organizationally work focused. The characters and the story is about applying it in a team and work. And then my book is about coaching and developing really the coaching uh, body of knowledge. Clear. Those questions are, I was, I was scribbling them down on a post-it because I'm like, I need these in front of me. Um, so simple, so brilliant. And I think we, to have been coaching for almost eight years now, like they're in, they're built into my training. Um, but I think the way you laid it out is, is the simplicity of it and the directness of it makes it really able, really graspable for coaches. So thank you for, for creating that and saying it the way you did. Um, our time is, we've, we've it just flown, flown by. Um, and I feel that it's, that happens so often on these shows, we get somebody who like you, who brings such brilliance, but we don't, we want to also give you an opportunity to say anything we didn't ask you. So is there a last word? Is there something you want to share with us or that we didn't ask that you want to speak to before we kind of tell everyone where to find you and mm. how to get your books and whatnot? Mm. Well, first of all, thank you for 
Christopher and Alex, Christopher, your many, many years of seeing coaching as the brilliant profession uh, for uh, personal, cultural, social change uh, and the contribution that coaching makes to uh, this world that we're all envisioning, but yet we know we're in the middle of a total disintegration breakdown experience globally with every system. We know that, and yet we do not know what the breakthrough is going to look like. And being able to hold the tension, Alex, would be what I would say is my parting suggestion is for us to really be aware of this tension between this yearning and vision that many of us have of what a global society that cares about the many rather than the few, what would this really look like? We don't know yet what the systems are going to be. And yet we hold the tension of, we know where we are right now isn't working. So it's, I use a rubber band. The, the rubber band is upward, the inspiration of the new vision and where we really are down here. So this rubber band is taunt, it's tight. And so how do we relate to this tension of not knowing? And that is a coaching question for every one of our coaching conversations. It's also a cosmic global tension. How are we going to relate to this tension of not knowing? And that requires compassion, that requires nurturing, that requires lots of decision-making of what we pay attention to, where we put our focus. It, it, cause, it means boundary setting and limits. Um, it means that we must do the work of being in relationship to the not knowing so that we can contribute to conversations and systems that are wanting to emerge. And we don't yet know what they look like. And learning to be and do this, the beingness of that is what coaching and in my view, masterful artistic coaching is about rather than the technique and the doing of coaching. So with that, I would, I would mm. uh, just offer an appreciation for this space to have this conversation. That's so great. I love that tension. Who do we want to be with that tension? It's such a powerful, the imagery is great. And the, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. Where do people... Where do people find you and your rubber band and your tension <laughs> and your books? Yes. The best place for them to go. You know, uh, Amazon's the best place to go for the books. You could order it in, in any bookstore and, um, and yet Amazon for, for a small company like ours is the one that globally has the most access. Um, the um, website is the empowerment dynamic. Com, the empowerment dynamic.com. My uh, email is Donna, D O N N A, at poweroftead.com. So far, we're keeping our old emails. It's just talk about tension of changing 20 years of emails. <laughs> that, that gets me uh, exhausted. But Donna at poweroftead.com. And I look forward to hearing from whoever might have a question. I kicked off. Uh, my new coaching um, classes this last week, uh, Who Do You Want to Be? Coaching with the Empowerment Dynamic, and um, it is for professional coaches or at least um, leaders who have some coaching background and want to go much deeper with these ideas. And I will eventually by next year be kicking off a certification of becoming an Empowerment Dynamic coach, mm. which Christopher, you have had 20 years of accomplishment coaching. I could take lots of advice on, I'm not getting into coach training. This is a certification for experienced coaches to learn the art of coaching with the empowerment dynamic. And I really want to acknowledge you because there's not enough offerings for veteran coaches, right? For experienced coaches. So many of the trainings are offered or pointed towards brand new coaches or, or, you know, struggling coaches. And so thank you very much. Mm. Really important that we have those ongoing developmental opportunities. 
Yeah, you're welcome. And boy, do I learn a lot from the experienced coaches that show up and ask, you know, a new question. I hadn't even, after 15 years of this, hadn't even considered. That's why I love what I'm doing right now is I'm doing less one-on-one coaching and now more uh, coaching education. Very good. All right. The website is The Empowerment Dynamic. The woman is Donna Zajon. Thank you so much for being with us again. It's great to be with you. Alex, anything as we're signing off, anything for you? Uh, people can find you at thedreammason.com. There, your book, Fictional Authenticity, available wherever fine books are available, including right here on Accomplishment Media. Any final word for you? You know, we started this this whole conversation today in a, in a pretty somber, tense, you know, a lot of tension, somber place. And I think it's perfect how this episode went and almost how we got to this place of tension. And I think just to leave people with, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And right. Like the pattern that we've seen in the world is that for a long time, nothing happens. It seems like we go through the cycle of the same, but that each of our listeners get to decide who they want to be with the tension that we're living inside of. And, and I think you agree with, I think all three of us would agree with this, that if as each person, you know, becomes a, I want to say the best version of themselves, it, it has a ripple. It makes a difference. Um, so, yeah, I think this was, uh, it's funny how it works out like that, right? We're talking about tension and challenging and we get a great uh, episode with Donna and get to, to, to learn and, and take that and apply it right to where we were at. Thanks. And thanks for your support and leadership in coaching as well. Uh, and once again, you can find uh, Donna at theempowermentdynamic.com. You can find Alex at thedreammason.com. And I'm your host, Christopher McAuliffe, co-host, I guess now, Master Certified Coach, wanting to uh, direct you to our longtime sponsor of this program, Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. If you're interested in coach training or just want to see what we're up to, go to accomplishmentcoaching.com. I thank you, dear listener, for listening again. We bring you people out on the cutting edge of coaching, pioneers, people you just need to know about each and every week right here at The Coaching Show. I thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.